please everybody look at switzerland look at my action i have filed criminal charges against president Bursett. the presumption of innocence applies um, i've done that because i caught him telling the untruth using the uh national television to spread a lie that the vaccines are safe and not safe that the vaccines are safe not to be contagious that's wrong we know it they know it since august of 21 with that the covid law was manipulated the vote people voted yes for it it's a discrimination it is a, a, a unconstitutional law um, now we know from pfizer that the vaccines never were designed to sp stop spreading the virus however genius dr virginie master undertake my hat of this lady she warned everybody in august 21 vaccinated people spread as easily as unvaccinated people the boss minister Berset, now president and still minister of the health today used television time three months later to say the contrary that the certificate shows that you're not contagious and that is a lie and with that lie a lot of consequences happen so i'm with this case criminal case the swiss government probably will have to declare the covid law as null and void because the voters were misled deceived through this statement on television on the 27th of october 21. so the criminal charges are filed they're running uh, mainstream media starts to report of it. I, I want to encourage Austrians in Vienna, look it up, Weltwoche. You'll see the articles and uh, read yourself into it. It's very simple. The whole case is described on a piece of paper like this. Sometimes simple things are more effective than convoluted, complicated things. And in this case, it is um, simple to describe what happens and analyze it. There's no need for new studies <clears throat> since it's now evident that the vaccines don't work. And MNRA vaccines don't work. Pfizer has admitted it in European Parliament. They don't work. So I'm relating, I'm referring to Pfizer, which has made, again, public statements. It's on Google, I think, uh, on YouTube, I even think, and Google it. Janine Small, Pfizer manager, confessed it, admitted it. Yeah, so, it's the open. Yeah. This country will be the leader of, to, in my view, to work up this whole COVID mess, Aufarbeitung, sagen wir dem, and to come back to the absolute truth and to the absolute functioning of justice and democracy in our country. Mistakes were made, lies were said, consequences are terrible. However, we can learn, we have to learn from those mistakes. Those responsible who did this, I asked them to step down from their positions immediately and I asked justice to act. Pascal Najadi, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to, really looking forward to this talk. Uh, Pascal, um, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself. Uh, your 
your, I mean, your background, your expertise, your knowledge. I mean, the, your whole story is so thrilling and so fascinating and so shocking at the same time, and so overdue for this for this for this time being. Um, I just, uh, as I said, we were just off the record. I just told you we, I, I, I listened to that to that lengthy, really fascinating interview with Daniel Prince on Once Bitten podcast, and um, yeah. Let's just go step by step. Pascal, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to the show. Um, what's your background? What, what, what would you like to my followers, my subscribers to know first about, uh, about you, research about yourself? Well, thank you very much, um, uh, Kevin. Or can I call you Dr. Davani, uh, since you are a doctor in uh, in law? Is that correct? In yeah, yeah, I have a PhD, but please, no titles. <laughs> oh, but it's nice because we're talking about law. We have a major scandal in Switzerland. But let me give it for your audience and uh, some some short short background, not to bore people, but to give them a little bit of color. I'm a Swiss citizen. Um, my father was a Persian um, citizen. I mean, Persian origin, born in Bahrain. The Kingdom of Bahrain today. Uh, my mother is Swiss, I'm born in Lucerne, Switzerland, which is central part of this country. There's the flag. Um, and uh, I was born and raised here uh, as a kid, uh, went to primary school, uh, then went to a, a college in the eastern part, the Rosenberg Institute uh, in St. Gallen. Um, then uh, at the age of 18, I entered the army to do two years of military service in the Air Force. And at the age of 20, I went to look for a job. I had no job. I had no degree. I didn't do a master. I didn't do a matura. So I thought, well, let's go to the banks. Because at that time, the banks, you must imagine, it was the mid-end 80s were booming. And at that time, the Swiss big banks like Credit Suisse, like UBS specifically, the top management was all military people, military officers. So if you had a, as a young uh, guy, a, a, a Swiss officer's degree or something like that, you have good chance to get a job. So I put my uniform on, went to look for a job, I went to the UBS main office on Bahnhofstrasse in Zurich, went to the main office for human resources. It was Mr. Scherer. And uh, he looked at my papers and said, well, I don't know why you came here. You have no degree. I said, yeah, I know. I was in my uniform, Air Force, you know. And I said, I'm, I'm very disappointed. And I said, yeah, you, you must go now. It's time is over. Like, you know, I went to the door. He said, oh, come back. And he said, wait, you're 20 and you're already a corporal in the Air Force? I said, yes. Well, okay, we'll, we'll give you a chance. One year, eight months, internship. The internship was for high school, not for high school, it was for master's degree level. I had no master degree and uh, I was the youngest one and I got to see the bank from the inside, you know, Forex, capital markets, international department, payments. Some of them were boring jobs, but you see how it works, like payment systems, you know, uh, old, old fashioned, of course, at the time, manual, etc. And uh, after one year and eight months, uh, I left the bank. I found it very boring in bank. So I went to do public relations and I went to see Klaus Stölker. He's still alive today. He's still the doyen of Swiss PR. He's a German by origin. And he gave me a job as his assistant. So I became, became an assistant uh, in the PR business of himself, 
carrying a lot of bags and presentations. Then the later, he, he let me write. I wrote. And it was funny, those papers, you know, I, I, I showed him my, my writing and then it was coming back all red, 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 red. So, you know, good writing is not easy. So I learned how to write, to talk to journalists, to be fair to them, the codexes and all these things. You only learn that if you work in that kind of profession. You cannot, in my view, you cannot learn that just in university. It's the real life that teaches you a lot. Uh, then I went uh, uh, to a Swiss bank called Volksbank. Uh, they had a capital markets department. They wanted me. They said if, you, if I could do the relationship with German issuers, the largest banks in Germany, they were all AAA or AA plus, um, the big corporates, but mainly the, the German uh, Landes banks, the German banks. We issued billions of Swiss franc bonds out of Zurich for the German banks. It was a fantastic time. We're talking 1990, 91. The bank collapsed overnight. They had a, there was a real estate crisis and the real estate was, the book values were wrong. The whole Volksbank number four of the country collapsed in one day and got uh, snapped up by, U, uh, by Credit Suisse overnight. It was a big deal. But we were on the streets. So what to do? Capital market guys, young guys, no job because we don't gonna, we're not going to work for Credit Suisse or, or UBS. They were laughing at us. And uh, then came Merrill Lynch. At that time, Merrill Lynch was the global number one investment bank out of New York and London. And they gave us a ticket for Concord. They said, fly over to New York. You know how the Americans are very easy going. And, hey, you young kids, uh, can you do the same thing for us in Zurich? Build a boutique, just Swiss franc bonds and notes, new issues. We said, sure. We're a team of six people, um, some back office and some legal and some uh, one assistant, uh, like uh, PA, a secretary. And we had an office, a small office at the stock exchange. Very interesting. Every day we, we had the bus from the ring. And uh, we built that business successfully within one year. Merrill Lynch became number four in one year in, in league tables in Swiss franc bond issuance. It, within one year, we issued 2.5 billion Swiss francs. That was a lot of money then uh, on, on bonds. And then I had the luck to do the first National Bank of Hungary Swiss franc bond, 150 million, seven-year tenor. And when we got that one done, Merrill Lynch London got interested because they had an emerging market desk. And they said, Pascal, we promote you. We're, we're talking 92. I was 25. Uh, you become a vice president. You have everything what you want. Come on to London. I, I said, no, I'm a Swiss guy. I want to stay in Zurich. I have no friends in London. You know, London is too big for me. No, they forced me. They said, you must come. New life. They put me up at the Dorchester in London for one month because I had no apartment. <laughs> So I, <laughs> completely different lifestyle. You cannot imagine. And uh, I was working very hard and uh, had my responsibility for, for the Central European part. So the Baltic states, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Slovenia, the former Austrian Empire, if you want to say so. And uh, I did that. And... Uh, the number one candidate for me there was always Croatia because they came out of, they went into war, but they came out of it in 95. 
Uh, we did road shows around the world for Hungary, Croatia, Slovenia, interesting ones. And uh, in 97, Dresdner Bank, Kleinwald Benson, that was a blue blood, blue eyed, one of the oldest British merchant banks, uh, investment bank, merchant bank, uh, poached me and they offered me a, a seat on the board of the management. I was 29. I said, yep, yeah, why not? And they gave me everything. They gave me Central Europe, Central Asia, Russian Federation, Middle East and Africa. Not me alone. I had my team and research. And then it was really the best time in, in, in business terms. It was, it was the best time ever. It was the emerging markets. You can imagine. We had a lot of uh, government negotiations and advisory. I was always dealing only with governments from then on, with ministers, central bank governors, or in some cases, uh, heads of states, presidents, also in Russia. And that made me more become a diplomat than a banker. <laughs> because frankly speaking, I don't like numbers. I, I want to be honest here. I, I like people and I like complicated situations. And, uh, you know, I like to give good advice how to de-conflict and how to market strategically a country. So it was perfect for me. Some countries were wild. I was in Africa, impossible situations. Congo in the war, Angola in the war, impossible situation to do anything there. Uh, West Africa, impossible. South Africa to agree, to a degree. Middle East was calm, was easy. Um, Abu Dhabi, I was advising uh, the Al Nayan family. Not on wealth, always on, on strategy. I was never a wealth manager and advised uh, a few uh, royal families and ministers there. Uh, calm, Russia was wild, going crazy under Yeltsin. It was unbearable, it was dangerous. Judges were shot, uh, cars were blowing up in Moscow. Um, it was really an unpleasant time there in Russia at the time and I couldn't do anything. It was just people were crazy. Um, but that's the way it was. And I did some fantastic business there. I really had a great time with the Croatian government because we built up Croatia after the war, made the ratings. We did a roadshow, uh, 15 cities in 21 days around the world, like a rock band, you know. Uh, a lot of stories from that roadshow. That takes another video call, but, you know, don't want to bore you with that. It's actually funny, but it would take up too much time. And in 2003, I decided to resign. Not because I had a fight, everything was fine. I just felt that the industry, not my firm, but the industry got corrupted. I realized that the bonus pools were increased to crazy levels. And mind you, I was on the board. I was happy if bonuses go up. But it came to a level where I said to myself, this is not okay. Because we have top management, senior management, middle management, and then you have a big base. Yeah. And they that's, got yeah, that's a, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think this, uh, the point of in time that where, where uh, the, what was the year where you first like acknowledged or understood like how, because you've been like obviously a lot into rabbit, ra a lot of rabbit holes. Yeah. Like what was the first time you saw like the depth or the cesspool of corruption or, or, you know, fraud, corruption, whatever, you know, criminality going on. Not criminality. I say corruption 
morally, moral hazards, ethical corruption in terms of top management taking all the bonuses on top. I see. Okay, gotcha. And the employees, the lower charges, they got maybe $10,000, you know, for a Christmas bonus. You know, it's a lot of money, $10,000. do not get me wrong. But I felt it's not okay. But I couldn't change the system because that was policy. But I was on top. So I, in, in a way, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And I, I resigned. Um, big divorce papers, thick like that. I cannot write a book. I cannot do a movie. Uh, you know, I signed all that. Um, I shouldn't talk about it. But the bank doesn't exist anymore. So now we can talk about it. I won't talk about clients details, but I can talk about it. Um, and the rest I take to my grave. Uh, so we, I resigned and went back to Switzerland. Uh, there was an episode with Swiss Air in 2001 before I resigned. I tried to save the airline. It's known in the Google. You can Google it. Uh, it didn't work because the government was incompetent. This government was incompetent then and they didn't get it. They didn't understand our concept. Um, then I made a movie out of it in 2006 called Grounding, one of the best Swiss movies ever made, where we we showed the world why Swiss Air collapsed. It was manipulation by the banks combined with incompetence of the Minister of Finance at the time. Complete disaster. Damage to the economy, 50 billion Swiss francs, 40,000 long term time in, um, jobless on the street and a lot of small companies collapsed like bakeries and you know, around the airport stuff like that um, and it was a loss of pride can you imagine Switzerland the richest country in the world not having enough money for the fuel in the morning for the planes I mean you know so that's that I spent some time in Kazakhstan I was doing uh, advisory for President Nazarbayev, the then president of Kazakhstan, the first president of the country, good man, great guy, uh, an engineer. Uh, he speaks through his eyes, a uh, very smart man, uh, did some strategic advisory, and uh, it was more about how to position Kazakhstan as an as a, as a investment territory for international investments. And... Uh, uh, showed that Kazakhstan was structuring its economy like a Western OECD country. So that was great. Not just oil and gas, but services, logistics, etc. cetera. Uh, then I called it a day, and in 2006, I went to Vietnam briefly to be the uh, chief representative of Bombardier Aerospace, make aircraft, commercial aircraft, not the private jets. But we had competition from Boeing and Airbus. You can imagine the Boeing guys, they had envelopes, you know, the envelopes. Yeah. And Airbus had the envelopes and they, they took all these airline uh, executives to Paris, nice dinners, nightclubs with girls. Canadian company, if you're Canadian, you cannot do that. It's impossible. So we placed a few aircraft there. It was fun. I like aircraft business. I like technology. Two years we had success, and then I, I called it a day. Then I joined my father, who was a banker. He had founded several banks in his life and uh, joined our merchant family merchant banking office firm in Malaysia. 
and uh, was deputy CEO, deputy chairman. So I joined my father, you know, after been working alone, standalone in the world, I joined him. I didn't want to join him at the beginning because everybody will say, oh, you're just a son. You got a nice chair because of your dad. Oh, yeah. Then they talk about nepotism. and Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So Can I, I just have... ask you, your father uh, was Persian. Uh, yes. Origin from Iran. What kind? What kind of career did, did was he under the Shah in Iran? No, or? he was born in the Kingdom of Bahrain. I see. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, from a poor family, uh, he had no money. Uh, he then went to Beirut as a young guy, as a twenty-year-old. Went to Beirut. Uh, no plan. He had no plan. He was in the harbor, sitting there, um, reading the papers, and the German uh, businessman came. And so he could, my father was very good in English because Bahrain was a, a British colony. So his English was, you know, and uh, the Germans said, well, you know, what are you doing? You're reading the papers. You must be intelligent and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to Germany, he said. And, you know, my, my father said, I want to go to Germany. So um, the gentleman said, what do you want to do in Germany? Uh, what, what are you up to? He said, well, I'd like to learn banking. I said, you know what? I'll give you a ship ticket. Here's pocket money. You go. I mean, like Cain and Abel, the story, if you read the book, when uh, when one of the consuls gave the young boy money and, and said, go. So my father went to Germany, uh, found, of course, immediately a nice German girlfriend, learned German, worked and did night studies to learn banking and finance. Then he came to Switzerland, early 60s, met my mom. He had a, a, a brokerage house in Zug, not far from Zurich, and was advising the Kuwaiti royal family. And through that process, he became an industrialist. He was the biggest, we had the biggest hydrofoil company in the world, um, building hydrofoils. These are ships that fly on wings. They still run today in some areas like Hong Kong and some lakes in Italy. Um, but the hydrofoil business collapsed. In 73, we had the oil shock. Those boats were very fast, but the engines were drinking a lot of fuel. So my father sold the company. It was a Swiss company, by the way. The engineers were from Switzerland. The patents were from here. This was a, it was German technology, but patented in Germany and Switzerland. And uh, that technology brought them to Singapore. And Lee Kuan Yew, when he was young, Prime Minister of Singapore, he wanted to attract high technology to Singapore. He was hungry for that, not just money. He wanted both money and technology. So they gave my father a huge house in the middle of Singapore with a huge park for $500 a month. It was a huge house with 14 rooms with a cook, maid, a driver, a Jaguar. I mean, they were taking care of him. And they wanted the, the hydrofoil technology for Singapore, which my father provided. And then uh, he founded a, a bank in Malaysia, Arab Malaysian Development Bank. Uh, it was a bank that was built to, to, to foster the business between the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia to get the Arab money to Malaysia, which is a Muslim country, to develop Malaysia. So Arab Malaysian Development Bank was founded with $2 million in 74. And now it's the fourth largest bank in Malaysia with a 30 billion, 30 billion equity, uh, dollars equity. 
Uh, so that's the story of my dad in, in a nutshell. So I joined the firm in 2008. And I felt like I had to do something else than just Malaysia and Singapore, Indonesia. For me, it was too boring. I wanted to look at bigger pictures and I looked at Russia. I'll take the map and the oil and gas and the power and the need for technology, the trade. So I went to Moscow to start building relationships. And some of them I had from before, from the government. And I, I, you know, some of them went to the private industry. Some of them went to the uh, Russian state companies like Gazprom and others, Rosneft. And I built the business there. Unfortunately, then in the 29th of July, 2013, my father got assassinated in Malaysia. And uh, I was in Moscow when it happened. And then uh, I took my mother. We fled Malaysia because we were threatened. We were afraid that we are next. We didn't know what it is. We still today are doing investigations. Uh, was it a gang? Was it political? Was it terrorism? Or was it just a crazy person? But craziness doesn't fit because the shooter is now in prison on death row. Uh, he got $5,000 to pull the trigger. And I want to hunt the mastermind who paid him, but the Malaysians are protecting him. So there must be a link to the former prime, prime minister. They are afraid. Yeah, yeah. that so, was the first time, by the way, where I, I started connecting the dots because I heard about you and, you know, and I thought at that time even... Oh, your, your, your name sounds ancient Iranian or Persian. Yeah. And, and, and Michael Saylor was just recently on, and actually he, the, the, the show host uh, is also Persian, uh, Patrick Bad David, you know, Valuetainment or whatever it's called. Yeah. So it was a great uh, talk, actually. Michael Saylor did a great job. Uh, they were talking about, you know, FTX, all these scams and the frauds yeah. going on. And then as an example, he, he explained, you know, he, he told, but he, he, he didn't, he never mentioned you or your father, of course, but it was all intertwined. And then, all of a sudden, you know, I connected the dots, you know, because he said about the one MDB, you know, scandal or fraud or whatever, this huge scam going on with the government and this fraudster who then, as you also told in your podcast with Daniel Prince, financed the Wolf of Wall Street movie and then they had to pay it back with Leonardo DiCaprio and Scorsese. So maybe you can... Yeah, I get to that. Connect the dots, yeah. So through that... Uh, I fell into a big depression. I'm still depressed today. I'm fighting the illness. It's uh, something terrible that is biting me every morning. So now I have strong medication. I can talk to you, but uh, just to be clear, I'm, I'm not well. Uh, however, I'm strong. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I made my own investigations with Claire Rucastle-Brown. She was the one who brought the scandal into the open. Claire Rucastle-Brown is the sister-in-law of Gordon Brown, the former UK Prime Minister. She's a journalist, was with the BBC. She's a proper, old school, honest, uh, no fear, investigative journalist. And we connected, the chemistry was right because I'm for truth and justice, she's for truth and justice, same principles, integrity. And we started to work together. And she helped me trying to find out what, what happened, why. And through that process, well, she was the one who went straight through the wall and up and, and, and brought it, laid it all out. So now we know what happened. It was one MDB government fund funded by the taxpayers' money from Malaysia. All right. The prime minister was the 
authority over the fund. He had an architect for the machinations, Joe Law, an ugly, chubby, looking, young, Chinese, Malaysian Chinese, unknown to the world, never went to an investment bank for work, unknown, no career, nothing. All of a sudden, this guy pops up, and then he started to make parties in Saint-Tropez with Nicky Hilton, Paris Hilton, photos like drunk and you know, complete nonsense. <laughs> and Claire saw that and said, wait a minute, Wolf of Wall Street 2013, she said, the stepson of Najib, the prime minister, is financing this Wolf of Wall Street with DiCaprio and Scorsese and all these people. Where's the money coming from? You know, it cost about $112 million to produce. It made $400 million, but they had to, it was all confiscated by the DOJ, which is good. It was I illegal money to make the film, therefore confiscated. Fine. This went on and Claire, like an onion, started to peel and find out more. And she was fearless. I, and at some stage, I, I called her and said, listen, you know, now you're really scratching the surface there and they killed my father and she said I'm, I'm not scared I'm you know she's really fearless and she soldiered on soldiered on and now we know the banks a few examples got involved Credit Suisse was involved in Zurich Kutz was involved in Zurich and Singapore uh, BSI Banca Svizzera Italiana which the Swiss regulator and the Singapore regulator Shut down immediately, it was so bad. Uh, Goldman Sachs was involved with bond issuance, charging 10% fees for a bond. <laughs> you know, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, there was um, uh, a whole list of banks, Falcon Bank, Rothschilds, they're all there. So Cholo was going around the world basically doing fake oil contracts with the Saudis with Saudi shell companies and those fake oil contracts were nothing else than uh, instruments to layer the money. But they made it stupidly. So in, 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 in Najib's case, in my 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 father's old bank, Arab Malaysian bank or Ambank, the prime minister, the sitting prime minister had an account, which is not illegal. It's called the PP, politically exposed person. It's okay to have, a, I mean, a minister or must have a bank account, otherwise you cannot live. But banks usually treat it very carefully with compliance and all this, which is correct. And this bank account, four months before they assassinated my father at lunchtime in the city, in the middle of the city, this bank account got a transfer in one go of $680 million dollars. Can I ask him, sorry, just one interjection. Oh. Um, was there, shortly before your father was, I mean, horrendous, um, assassinated, um, was there a warning or any kind of information? Or war mm -hmm. If there would have been a warning, my father would have immediately uh, left the country. I mean, yeah. he was a very cautious man. If somebody would have warned him <laughs> for not doing anything wrong, uh, he would have just, uh, um, no, there was no warning. There was no signal. There was no nothing so you know uh and this 680 million dollars came from singapore company and bank 
And then again, came from Saudi Arabia from a shell company. And then Najib said, oh, it's a gift. It's a gift from Saudi Arabia, from a prince. Donation. You know, the Saudis have a lot of money. But why should they give a do donation of $680 million? They don't do that. They might give you a million or two to build a new school or a mosque or something. Nothing. So what I'm doing now is basically to round this career thing up, I'm doing a movie. We'll talk about that later, about one MDB, about my father's assassination. I don't do it myself because my illness doesn't, it prevents me from doing it, but I have a team and uh, they're writing the script and I give the advice on the story and we're developing it as we speak. Is that what kind of genre? Is that a, like a thriller or a documentary? No, it's no thriller would be fiction. It's docudrama. Everything in the movie is true. Wow. But we are packing it with enactments so that it's fast-paced, suspense. Yeah. And at the end, the mystery will, will be a mystery result. And so don't expect anything boring. Expect something like a mix between JFK and the Bourne files, you know, something like that. Um, uh, Jason Bourne. Oh, my. <laughs> because it has all the elements. Everything yeah. is true, what yeah. is in the movie. Yeah. I'm doing it with uh, the best Swiss filmmaker, Michael Steiner. He's my co-producer. I'm the producer. And I have two more Swiss co-producers already. And the Abu Dhabi Film Commission is already reviewing the script. So uh, they're doing that. I mean, if the movie, if, if our script would be bad, they wouldn't bother. They'd say, thank you. Another one of the 1,000 scripts we get every day, you know. Abu Dhabi Film Commission is a huge organization. They are government of Abu Dhabi. They have a lot of money and resources, and they are reviewing our script for free. That's, and and Pascal, and don't forget, this is authentic. I mean, this is yes. authentic. This is the best. I love authentic movies, you know. Yes. So everything is in there. Leonardo DiCaprio, Paris Hilton, Rothschilds, Credit Suisse, JP Morgan, Kutz, all of them who were part of this are in there. And we don't accuse banks that have not been accused officially. So we got to be very careful how to word it because we don't want to overstep any lines. Okay, so that's in production. But really today, I focus on justice for my father, logically. I focus on uh, peace. I believe in peace. And I think I had a lot of experience advising governments and diplomats and stuff. And I, I, I have an ability through my experience, to look at the geopolitical implications. And I understand both sides. We have to understand both sides. And we have to talk to both sides. Otherwise, there's no point. Sometimes I do some writings in the papers uh, as an author. Recently, I made a paper about uh, a shooting star from German politics, Alice Weidel, Dr. Alice Weidel. She's young and dynamic. Uh, Tehran Times published her. Can you imagine? They always say Iranians are against women in power. They they love it. They just put it there. The title was The New Hope of Germany. <laughs> you can Google it. It's fantastic. Okay. Not because I wrote it. The real fantastic thing is that the Iranians publish her with a photo of her without the chador or something, you know. Really cool. And Tehran Times is the number one English-speaking newspaper in Iran. Everybody reads it. All diplomats read it, etc. So, that's that. And justice, for me, if I see something unjust, I get angry. 
Yeah. So here we come to the story, what's happening now today in Switzerland, mm-hmm. which is now a global story or evolving into a global story because of its ramifications. It's big. I, I just had a four hours meeting here with a judge, somebody who was in a court to advise me and uh, they think I'm doing the right thing. Uh, so what I say now is important. Everything what I talk about this case is uh, is under the presumption of innocence. Yeah, of course. Of the accused. Yeah. That's very important. I repeat that. Everything what I say in this case in Switzerland about Switzerland and our now elected president, uh, I filed criminal charges against him, is under the presumption of innocence. In German, the Unschuldsvermutung gilt. Last Friday on the 2nd of December, no, I have to go back, the last day of November, I had a file on my desk, and it was the famous file now of all the victims of the COVID vaccines, victims that survived the others, I mean, family members who lost loved ones with a direct causa with the MNRI vaccine. Or injection. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's just so grotesque that we can't even call it. But, you know, just for the simplicity of it, I understand for the sake of simplicity, injection. we have to call it, yeah. Injection. <clears throat> or bioweapon. <laughs> I don't go that far. Yeah, of course, yeah. I make a declaration also, I have three boosters. So I'm not one of those movements who, I'm not an activist who said, no, I'm, I'm a normal person. I took, I believe the system. I took three shots because I had to travel with my mother and my wife. Uh, so I'm a bit scared because people are falling. They're dying all of a sudden, stuff like that. I hope, but knock wood, that I'm fine. My, my blood group is zero positive. The Harvard Medical School made a report last year that said, if you have zero positive, you're pretty strong and nothing will happen. So we pray to God that this is the case. So I had to report the file, the report, all the victims. And in Switzerland, we have 6,190 victims with severe medical conditions. Their life is ruined. 6,190 from a man-made injection. Okay. The lawyer who is doing that, I'm in touch with him, Mr. Kruse, he filed against Swiss Medic. Swiss Medic is a government arm that has to approve each and every medication that is sold in this country, even medication that is not on prescription, like aspirin, for instance. So every every box, well, that's the wrong example of cigarettes, but every box of tablets, it has a Swiss medic stamp. And then, you know, they've checked, they've checked the substance, it's good, you can you can eat it. And I got very upset. I wouldn't say emotional, but it was gripping to read. It's thick. And I thought about those families, I said, what, what, what do they what are they going through now I, I could not i lost my father in a shock but they also had a shock and uh, the six thousand 
190 victims that are have been identified in Switzerland as severe medical condition, their lives are ruined. So I got really angry. So on the 2nd of December, in the morning, I couldn't live with it anymore. I said, I have to do something. So I made some research on the previous day, sorry, December 1st, <clears throat> to see where did the government slip up? Where was their mistake? Or this, uh, where was the deceit? This deceit? Uh, and I found one. And we're going to talk about it right now. I found it. The corpus delicti is clear. And that's coming from now, the elected president of Switzerland, who is still the Minister of Health, still today, in charge, responsible for the health of 8 million people. On the 27th of October in 2021, he went on national TV to promote the vote, the public vote for the COVID law, the COVID certificate. And he went on national TV saying this a lot of stuff pro, you must vaccinate, it's good for you. you know. But the one sentence where I, where I, I thought this is it is the sentence quote, with the certificate, comma, you can show that you are not contagious. Full stop, end of quote. So I, I put it aside. I make more research to find something prior to the date, and I found it. And 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 Pascal, just yeah. I think it's important in legal terms. I mean, legal yeah. terms. When when someone makes a statement like that, whether in German in English, it's it's verbally. You you there's no room for interpretation. I think because the verbal interpretation, the verbal uh, wording comes first, and then the theological or yeah. the interpretation of it, if it's not clear. So I think you know there. So I I as a jurist, you know, who studied law and did my PhD. I mean, there is no space for interpretation. Because it was it was on national television, live, prime time. So he used very expensive prime time to reach most of the people, not just Swiss, anybody living in Switzerland had to, well, was listening or watching this, not 8 million people, but maybe a million people. And I found something in August of the same year. So remember, 27th of October, he said that on national TV. However, his own director of the BAG, Bundesamt für Gesundheit, which is Federal Office of Public Health, her name is Dr. Virginie Masseret, highly professional, head of the infection control section. That was her job. She was the boss to analyze, to make recommendations on scientific basis, not on a political level. And she made a report, and I picked one, reports are big, one sentence, quote, COVID-19 vaccinated persons can spread the coronavirus just as frequently as unvaccinated persons. Full stop, end of quote. So we have two divergent statements. We have Virginie first, 
in, uh, in August 21, followed issuing a report, distributing it to the boss, to everybody, the government. And in October the 27th, he goes on TV to promote this, basically saying a vaccination is great, it's safe, it protects you and it protects others. You will not be contagious. You are not. Clear statement, you're not contagious. So that's that's it. That's as simple as that. I wrote this memo and I added to that with this statement, he pushed through a law that is unconstitutional. Why? Because it, it makes a two-class society, one the vaccinated and the non-vaccinated. The vaccinated had no more restrictions, as you know. The unvaccinated, without the certificate, they had no more life. They couldn't go into restaurants. Some of them were threatened to lose their jobs. Airlines said, Swiss, Swiss airlines said, pilots, cabin personnel, if you don't vaccinate, you'll have trouble. So everything, all the laws were collapsing, the, the employment law and all that. He created a two-class society with this statement or with this law. Further, which is unconstitutional, in Switzerland we have everybody under the law is the same. There is no two-class society. It does not exist in the constitution. The vaccination program for 8 million people has cost us 500 million Swiss francs. That's a, for Switzerland, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, for something that is, I have to say, useless, even maybe poisonous, more studies will come out. Some, some might say it's state-sponsored murder. And the other thing is, with this certificate giving the assurance that you are not contagious, saying that you are not contagious as a minister of health, Everybody believes you, right? You're the minister of health. You're the authority. Yeah. With that, he gave the people a wrong sense of security. Because Virginie in August already said, vaccinated people are contagious as unvaccinated people. That means all the guys like us, we got our shot. We said, hey, I'm vaccinated. Now we can shake my hand. Go to the restaurant. Go to the coffee shop. What did we do? We were spreading it like crazy. <laughs> Pascal, so, I don't know the situation in Switzerland, but I mean, I don't know which is more grotesque situation in Austria or <laughs> you might have heard a lot of things you know, about this law that it has had to be repealed because, you know, people would have paid like thousands of euros or not maybe necessarily going to prison, into jail or something. But anyway, so they, they relied, they always said they're relying on experts, but at least, you know, in Switzerland, it seems to me that there are at least, you know, not only investigative journalists who are almost extinct species, <laughs> but, but uh, somehow, uh, or in Germany, maybe, uh, but also like the, what do you call Like the, the, the lady, you know, who is in charge or head of the infectiology. Yeah. So, uh, so she's a real, it seems to me, uh, unbiased and uncorrupted, uh, scientist. scientist. Yeah. But not he's paid or bribed or corrupt. No, she's an un no he's clean. He's an uncorruptible Swiss doctor expertise on children and infectionally infect Jesus, the word 
uh, how do I pronounce this again? Head of infection control. Um, she resigned in November of 21. I don't know the reasons, but I can imagine why. Because her recommendation was completely ignored. Yeah. Completely, on all levels, by the way. Yeah. So yesterday, just to bring you up to date, um, yesterday, go to the Weltwoche. It's a Swiss daily newspaper. I published an article, and the article says, Alain Berset, Minister of Health, has deceived the public on the 27th of October 21 about the effectiveness. Hello? Ah, you got it. About the effectiveness of the nmRNA vaccine, Switzerland has to declare the COVID law as null and void. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's been published yesterday that the article is going through the roof. It's been spread all over the place so people get informed. Because I made, I filed criminal charges on the 2nd of December, which also Weltwoche reported so people can read about it, which is the basis is this. On Article 312, abuse of power, but there's more, endangering the public, then there will be probably gross negligence, all crimes, penal codes, punishable with prison sentences and or money. So that's gone in and is running. And the public is getting more and more informed. Mainstream picked it up two days ago, 20 minutes, published it. Can you imagine? They started to publish. Amazing. Yeah. In Switzerland only or in other countries too? I don't know. 20 minutes in Switzerland. Everybody reads it in the tram, in the bus, in the train, at home. Fantastic. In the morning. It's so yeah, great. The breakthrough happened. People yeah. are now informed. Mm -hmm. There is criminal charges filed, very precise. No thick dossier trying to build a case. I have nothing against Mr. Berset personally. I have no political ambitions. He could he could be called Mr. Meyer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what he said is a crime in my personal opinion, and I had to file criminal charges to allow justice to prosecute this case and call him for questioning him. Why did you say this? Yeah, he's in an official governmental position. <laughs> now he's a president, can you imagine? Wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, can I ask you, Esmaska, how would you assess, because this is, I mean, this is a, a rabbit hole by itself, but you might have also heard about Reine Füllmich, Dr. Reine Füllmich, the, the, the lawyer from Germany who is initiating all these you know, class action lawsuits and, and uh, investigative committees, uh, COVID investigative committee. Uh, how would you assess, evaluate the justice system in Switzerland? I mean, in regards to being unbiased, uncorruptible, or... I trust our justice system. I trust our executive uh, for the justice, the police, and the services of security. There's no doubt for me that they have a great job to do now, big job. I went to the local police station when I the lady said, what do you want? I said, want to file charges. She looked at me, oh, is it business? Or uh, I said, no. Again, I'm, I'm filing criminal charges. I don't sue him. I, I, I filed with the government to prosecute him and the charges. Um, she said, against whom? I said, against federal counsel Berset. 
you can't do that. I said, why? He's immune. I said, sorry, don't worry. Immunity will be lifted. This is a criminal case. Yeah. And she goes like, ah. I said, well, it's my right, so please. So I went to the local police station with no lawyer. I filled out the form. I gave the memo. I signed as a private plaintiff. I mean, uh, a guy who makes charges. I signed. And uh, they told me, go straight up to the federal prosecution office. Now I got a letter. It's with state prosecution first, which is good. It's the normal way, actually. And I'll get a copy of the documents in a few weeks. And then we, we continue. Um, I'll be informed about the case as it goes. Now, I want to say something very important. They will request Parliament to vote whether or not to lift immunity of President Berset. Okay? That's the way it works. What kind of majority do you need? What kind of... What's the kind anyway, of... Majority. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to say this. Very clear statement. Anybody from Parliament of Switzerland that votes against lifting the immunity in this case, for me, in my opinion, is part of the crime. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah. I will repeat this message on newspapers next week everywhere so everybody understands. Make no mistake. This is not about the sex affair which he had a few months or last year ago. You know, this is not where they didn't lift the immunity. Okay, this is a bagatelle. That's, you know, let's leave this sex stories and prostitutes aside that he had. This is about public health. This is about the minister lying to 8 million people to push through a law that's unconstitutional. Children went bananas because they couldn't go out. Bananas means they went cuckoo. They couldn't play with their friends. Students couldn't party. It's important. Students need to mingle. The whole country was shut down. Billions of damage. For something that scientifically the Ministry of Health knew it didn't work. Yeah. I.e. stop the transmission. Can you believe it? Yeah, and the damages, I mean, I've, I've, I've thought about it and talked to, to a lot of people, even with my, you know, with my partner, girlfriend, and uh, it's it's mind-boggling to, to think about the emotional, psychological, financial, economical. I mean, on every level you can think of, it's it's mind-boggling. Nobody uh, nobody talks about the suicide victims, by many. Nobody talks about yeah. it. Mainstream doesn't report. Mm -hmm. And mainstream is complicit, in my view, too. I'm forcing them to report it. This is a big case. It won't go away. It will grow every day by the week. Oh, yeah. We it's, good that you are, it's good that you are here from Vienna because now I want the Austrian audience to listen to this and then to write about it, maybe even in Austria. Who knows? Call me for an interview. And then it comes, the pressure comes from outside. The whole world will look at Switzerland, how we're dealing with this now. This is about nullifying the COVID law, which was a manipulation because his statement was a month before the COVID law vote, which was voted, yes, by 60%, not that great of a majority. The same people would never vote yes again, knowing to focus on Virginie's statement from August 2021. So on the 28th of November, the COVID law was voted, yes, because people, people had confidence, me too. That is great. It might be not clean from the constitution, but you know, we can start to live again and the vaccination works. 
It was a lie. The vaccination, the injection has no effect whatsoever. If it has one, it's only maybe damaging to the body and we don't know everything about it yet. The scientists are working on it, doctors are working on it. So this is the case I described you, which is running now. The presumption of innocence applies to Mr. Berset all the time because the case is pending. And I'm not the judge. It's not for me to judge. I just complain. I observe. And I had to do this. You know, it's not easy to go against no. a president of a country no. who's working for us, paid by our tax money, with the instruction to work for the interests of the people. Ministrare, minister comes from ministrare, comes from Latin, to serve. Us, not Pfizer or anybody else. I don't want to say that he did deal with Pfizer now. I just say, like, von der Leyen is under investigation because of certain pharma lobbying, which is good. The EU commission. Slowly, the truth is coming out. Yeah, slowly. Yeah, Switzerland, right. our country, is the first one, believe me, that will lead with an example how to deal with this mess. Yeah, I have high hopes, to be honest with you, especially when it comes to Switzerland, because I yeah. see Switzerland as a... As a you know, we talk about democracy. I mean, you know, we could have it's our own rabbit hole by itself. The chapter about democracy: what is democracy? Even if a majority votes something, doesn't mean you know it is right or it is you know when when injustice becomes so gross. I mean, actually, we as citizens, you know, I was just talking to to my girlfriend about the you, you have probably seen the scene from New Zealand where the baby was literally in the name of what. Uh, abducted from the parents because they, they refused to have their their baby uh you know transfused or injected with a with an uh so-called vaccinated blood even though there was insufficient in more than sufficient uh non-vaccinated blood i mean it's 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 uh, this is i was just i had no words to be honest with you because i was like where are we now i mean where's humanity where where where's our ethos where is uh where's natural law i mean uh, where is the moral where's the ethics yeah in the name of what you know wait where is the heart exactly thank you a good person has two things minimum a heart and the mind yeah and every executive organ has to refuse this order. I mean, you cannot, it's like, in, you know, people talk about Nazi, I mean, in the Gestapo, I mean, you have, you have, a, a, we, we as citizens, you know, we have a duty. I mean, if we cannot protect, we have, you know, we have our, our daughter of our own and if these are all our children, if we cannot protect our children, then what is left from of humanity then? Uh, exactly. So we go back to the human rights in the constitution is the Unversehrtheit des Körpers it's it's there but with the peer pressure many people said damn it i have to do the vaccination to get back my life my job to keep my job peer pressure discrimination for the unvaccinated was huge they even want to tag them then somebody said no because that would have gone back to the gestapo where they tagged the jews Exactly. Yeah. Uh, coercion. Coercion. Black. Was, I mean, what is? Yeah. <laughs> completely. Completely crazy. Yeah. So. This is a big case. This is not just something small. I'm a small person. I'm a citizen. And, I'm David, and the president is Goliath. 
and the charges are filed. It's the ultimate test now, a real big scandal. It's an ultimate test of our justice system. If you are a gentleman and this comes against you and you, you, you recognize that this was wrong, you know what you do? You step down on Monday morning with a declaration and yeah. in shame and say, I'm very sorry, I apologize. I did, I, this is for me. It happens under my watch. And you resign. You That's a minimum down. gesture. Yeah. That's the minimum. <laughs> yeah. If you're a gentleman. So... I don't say the other versions, but if you're a gentleman, that's what you do. Uh, has to do with upbringing. <laughs> so this this case is huge because again, ex Switzerland is an important country. Thirty percent of global wealth are going through this country. We have eight million people that were led to believe that the vaccine is safe and good and protects from contagion. And I am have debunked it on half a page and I filed it with the police station the way it should be done. Yeah. Not with lawyers, not with sick, yeah, just simple. Plain logic, simple. And the more sim sometimes simple things are more effective than a convoluted 50-pager trying to build a case. And, again, I have nothing against Mr. Bursa personally. I actually liked him. He was actually quite funny and humorous on the on his press conferences and the young and dynamic, but this is it. Uh, I, I can't even say he fucked up. That's not good enough. This is so bad. Yeah, I can't even put it in words. Yeah, and we don't even know. I mean, I mean, I gotta articulate that we don't even know the long-term consequences for generations to come. On top of that, you know, not only the exponential excessive mortality rates that have been like, if just the prosecutors investigate, just to put aside the question whether the immunity of Mr. Um, Berset, you know, will be lifted or not, but just you know the fact that uh, that the obligation. Uh, the, the duty of the prosecutor, the investigators to look at the facts, look at the numbers, look at the data, look at the... I mean, They don't need that. They don't have to go all to this exact mumbo-jumbo, sorry. It is about statements in chronological order. Virginie on the 3rd of August said, as the expert of the BRG, where he's the boss of the minister, she told him internally first public statement, again, doesn't work. He goes on on TV to promote the law with this sentence. That's the case. There's no need anymore to make a study on the MRNA or on, on, on statistics. Well, we have statistics. It doesn't work. Fine. We can even, and we have Pfizer, Janine Small, who confessed eight weeks ago in the European Parliament that the Pfizer vaccine doesn't work and was never designed, never designed to prevent contagion. It's all there, yeah. I got I got three Pfizer shots, I mean, yeah. So, this case is huge. Switzerland is under the spotlight now of the world because I'm demanding that the COVID law gets declared by Switzerland as null and void. That's it. And of course, those who were responsible to take consequences and I demand that justice acts now and does her job 
and I believe I, I, I believe in justice in Switzerland and I believe they're doing the right thing. And I repeat that. Any parliamentarian in Switzerland who votes against lifting the immunity of Mr. Berset, for me, in my opinion, is complicit with the crime. Let that be clear. So uh, let's move on. It's a morbid topic, but I think we gave it a good uh, wrap up here. Yeah, nice. Do you, have any questions? You. Do you have any questions about this case? It's it's insane to be honest with you. I mean, the more I reflect upon it, uh, and the more I talk with few people. I mean, you can you can only talk, you know, with <laughs> I can only talk with you and some few, few people. And and thanks God, I mean, to to a lot most of Bitcoiners who are really educated. Uh, they have a more holistic understanding, comprehension of what's really going on. And um, I'm just hoping that more and more people will wake up and uh, especially, I mean, what would you say to the average person out there? I mean, it's the, the propaganda, the brainwashing, the indoctrination. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's it's so, it has it has reached such a degree of, of uh, I don't know, clownery that I, I don't know where to start. Where would you start? Because people... Uh, and then it also it's about saving face. I, I think a lot of people know it inside, you know, but now they cannot admit it <laughs> because they have to they have to face, you know, save their faces, you know. Um, how would you, I mean, evaluate the whole situation? I mean, with with, Look, the, with society, it's it's a serious situation. I'm not sounding alarmist at all. It's I don't need to have to have to use the word very stupid word. It's serious. That's good enough. Why? We have a generational problem. I'm 55. I was brought up strict in a very good household. We had banks all over the world. Fine. I was privileged uh, to be born in that family. I had good education. I worked hard, as I told you my story. Uh, did all myself, my career. Nothing was given to me. But today we have a different generation now. We have the young ones, the ones who start work now, they've been spoiled with low interest rate economies. Everything was going up. Stock markets were going up. You could buy a house, it was doubling in a few years. Everything was, you know, the, the families had money, it came easy. Boom, more turnover companies, more employees. It went, dot com came, the internet came. Mobile phones came. And with the mobile phone comes the education problem. Kids today, not only kids, normal people, normal people, I'm also normal, but people that don't have this luxury of a career that I had to do, they read the mainstream news. In Switzerland, it's Blick, 20 minutes, Tagesanzeiger, NZZ. That's about it. They all write the same. They all write the same, excuse me, crap headlines, which are untrue. Putin had cancer, he would have died. Then he had Parkinson's. Then he had some other disease. Then he was cuckoo. He, he, a few days ago, he was running away to Venezuela. They're printing those headlines. As a journalist, when I was young, your, your editor would have you have lost your job if you suggest such headlines without, without verification of two sources, right? 
So it forces us to bring the truth through social media. That's what we are doing now. In the hope that people find it and get educated what's going on. But our case in Switzerland has been reported in 20 minutes, two days ago. So now everybody knows. But the kids and the young ones and the average persons, they have this in the bus, in the train station, at the office, at home, on the sofa, the news. Then they have the evening news, which is really boring. It's no journalism anymore. It's just what NATO says is about Russia has done. All the headlines are the same. Ukraine is winning the war. <laughs> That's the problem. <clears throat> Quality of journalism has collapsed. And investigative journalism. Where is investigative journalism? I mean, decades ago, there were decades ago, really, there was there was real investigative journalism, but it's like an extinct species. I mean, I'm in touch with Samer Hirsch, you know, Samer Hirsch, New York Times. Mm -hmm. He wrote to me last night. I'm in touch with Tucker Carlson. He might bring the Swiss story. I don't know if he likes to or not, but they're watching us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Anyway, we go back to the syndrome. It's education. Now, our kids get educated by teachers and professors. And I'm sorry to say that they're all left wing. Socialist ideas. Where did fascism come from? Nationalsozialistische and so weiter. In Germany, we have, we talk about Germany now, we have a phenom phenomenon happening. The Greens that were 30 years ago throwing stones at, and protesting against the traffic and peace for peace, and, you know, and uh, the lefts as well were protesting for peace, anti-war. They are the same ones now sending weapons to Ukraine and more and want to send more and they are negating peace negotiations. And they are refusing Russian gas, which is there. Gazprom made an offer. There's a story soon coming about that. Scholz refused, Habeck refused. Germany has no gas at the moment. In three months, 78% more chapter 11 situations in Germany of SMEs. 78% more than the previous cycle, the last three months. <laughs> The statistics don't work anymore with these kind of figures. It's off the charts, as we say. 33, 33 big conglomerates collapsed in Germany. BASF is moving out of Germany. Can you imagine the largest chemical company or one of the largest ones, German. BASF is moving out of Germany. Siemens goes to China, India and America. The car industry will be finished because of the European law against petrol engines. And the Greens are fostered, they're destroying systematically everything that relates to ownership, private ownership, mm -hmm. yeah. and the middle class. So who's really getting destroyed that should actually be supported is the middle class. Exactly, yeah. The middle class is responsible for to carry 70% or 60% of an economy. Mm -hmm. It's not BASF, it's not Nestle, it's not Hershey's, 
or Coca-Cola. It is the garage, the barbershop, the company that makes uh, chocolate with 10,000 employees or 100,000 employees, middle class. They are being destroyed right now. In Germany, there's no energy. And 50% of the German homes is an 80 million, 90 million people country. 50% of German homes are heated with Russian gas. Imagine there's no more gas. Germany has a consumption uh, per year of 90 billion cubic meters of natural gas. There's no gas. Finish. They blew up Nord Stream. The Russians say it's the Brits for the Americans. I think it's true, but I have no proof. Makes sense. They destroyed Nord Stream 1, which is a, a conglomerate between Russia and Germany, co-owned. And Nord Stream 2 is solely owned by Russian Federation through Gazprom. And what the mainstream doesn't write, uh, pipe 2B, Bravo, B, is operative. It survived because on that day, at that night, it had over, over pressure in the pipe, testing the pressure systems. So the charge couldn't break it. So one pipe of four is 100% functional. And the max power of it, the max throughput of this one pipe is 30 billion cubic meters a year, which would secure at least a third of the German consumption for one year. But Scholz and Habeck don't want it. Yet the economy is collapsing as we speak. It's two degrees outside, it's snowing. I have no words for that. That is volunteer destruction of 70 years of hard work after the war yeah. has been destroyed in eight months. What's what's so, the ultimate goal, uh, Pascal? I mean, what, what, what is the intention behind this? <laughs> where, in, look, where is this going? The Ukraine situation started in 2014. Uh, Remember? Maidan. The yeah. Maidanists they made a rebellion. The president was chased out. He, he fled to Rostov on Don in, in Russian Federation, fearing for his life. They took the constitution, they ripped it apart. So if you go to the definition of a state, it's declared and adhered to by the whole world and the UN. It's the Montevideo Declaration of 1933. You can Google it. Let's put it up. If you have, you have a, can you share the screen? Yeah, sure. Montevideo Declaration, 1933. It'll be interesting to explain. Uh, Mon Montevideo. Montevideo Declaration, 1933. There it is. Yeah. Convention on the rights and use of states. Is that the one on Wikipedia? No, no, no. no. Let's go to the Convention on the rights and duties. Try that. 
On okay. Uh, is that a PDF? Okay. Yeah, it should be PDF. Okay, yeah. Montevideo Convention um, on the Rights and Duties of States. It should be a summary. Anyway. Yeah. People can Google that. Let's take it away again. Yeah. That's too complicated here with this. Um, very simple. The state has to have land. It has to have a population. It has to have a constitution, a government, and the ability to entertain and establish foreign relations with other countries. Kiev on Maidan, on the rebellion, was not a state anymore because it had no constitution. And moreover, it had no government. The military did not take over. And then they installed Poroshenko. What did he do the first measure? He attacked the Donbass, his own people, Eastern Ukraine. 2014, the Ukraine army started massacring and doing genocide in the Donbass for eight years. But in 2014 and 15, Germany and France intervened and celeste the Minsk agreements. Mrs. Merkel, two days ago, confessed. She confessed that those Minsk agreements were only signed to gain time for Ukraine to arm herself. Yeah, I read that, yeah. That means they had an intention to attack Russia and to start a war. Yeah. So the, the Minsk agreements were actually not bad, and Russia didn't sign them. They said, look, let's have the Republic sign them. They are, they are the ones that are affected, and let's have two watchdogs, Germany and France, which was a mistake. They're NATO partners. Should have been Switzerland to oversee and monitor, but too late. It and Switzerland possible. doesn't seem to be neutral anymore. That was, that's the whole topic. It's, we came to that point. Yeah. They were ineffective. They were not respected. Ukraine did not respect them, didn't fulfill them. The war started in Ukraine, at which point, at some point, two things happened last year, about a year ago. The Russians knew, they learned from the Munich conference, Zelensky said, we will have nuclear weapons. And the Donbass republics were complaining that they lost 14,000 lives, civilians, in eight years. Nobody talks about that. 14,000 victims, civilians, in Donbass, just because they are Russian, ethnically Russian people. It's called genocide. La Russian language is forbidden. Burning Russian school books. I and mean, Hitler did that. He burned books. And so on and so forth. Azov brigades, neo-Nazi uniforms and flags. And that's okay, right? The von der Leyen seems to support all that. That's the truth. At which point Putin had its most difficult decision in his life, I believe. He said, either we stop this now, or we risk that they have um, one year or two years nuclear weapons, they will fire them, they're crazy enough, and they will try to kill millions of Russians in Moscow or St. Petersburg or anywhere. Starting a nuclear war, completely crazy. Now they have gone in, and they will not go west anymore. They will stay where they are. 
So we go back to the German situation quickly. America wants to curtail Germany. It suits the Greens and the Lefts very well. They want to destroy the middle class at the same time, with the elite to grab the power, to control the poor, which is easy. That's it. You ask me why. That's it. Very simple. Uh, the Reichstag attack, which they had uh, four days ago, the so-called operation in Germany, where they foiled a revolution. A psyop. I mean, what is that? 3,000 policemen and policewomen yeah. uh, taking an old man in a, in, a, in, a, in a police bus to the station, uh -huh. claiming that he's a terrorist. They found among the, all those members, they found, I think, one gun. And I also have a gun. It's legal. <clears throat> and they found a few air guns, air guns, and a few crackers that you can, for festivals, you know. Those were terrorists. And you know what? The German public believes that. Mainstream news. And then they single out the AFD. Oh, there was one ex-member of the AFD also, and that's all over the place, AFD. One person used to be AFD. What are they trying to do? To weaken the AFD, which is the fastest growing party, trying to frame them now? Haven't they always tried to do that, frame the I mean, you know, we, we know some stories about the AFD. That, I mean, it's not always, it's a, it wasn't always clean, I think, right? I mean, they're sort of portrayed as right-wing, radical, whatever, but... They're not. There were some elements which were saying stupid things that don't belong into our society. Let's be very clear about yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. This is Mr. Höcke. He's known other members. Now they're quiet. They learned the lesson. Mm -hmm. The party has reformed herself under Alice Weidel and is constantly reforming, continuing to reform herself. SVP, I'm part of SVP. We had the same connotation years ago, racist. It's not true. Look at me, I'm half Persian. I'm Swiss, but half Persian origin and Swiss mix. They're trying to weaken AFD. They're trying to frame them. The last bastion for democracy in Germany. That's what's happening. And why is it happening? Because the ruling coalition is politically dead. What they're doing now, that's the end of it. The German people, when they realize that the apartments are cold, that the fuel price is at three euros or four euros a liter because they shut down last Monday the oil pipeline, by the way, in solidarity with Ukraine. Anyway. This is suicidal. And then you ask yourself, Germany had a role to play in Holocaust, yes. And they're paying uh, uh, to Israel every year reparation money. Yes, it's understandable. Yeah. But Ukraine? There was nothing. The most corrupt country in Europe, that's what it was. So, Germany is a victim of all this, the Atlantists are trying to break Germany to make it weak, make it poor, and it suits the Greens and the Lefts very well. TDU is a bit, don't know where to go. Um, and you have AFD growing every day. So it's not a phenomenon, it is actually the logic consequence.
Mm-hmm. And by Atlantism, just for clarification, you mean NATO? The, okay, the Anglo-American. Okay, NATO. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. My Twitter uh, name is Atlantic Challenger. <laughs> um, peace, right? Uh, there is this fast-growing AFD, which is reformed, which if you go to the online website, let's do that. That's interesting for people to watch. I really like to do that, please. It takes three minutes. We go to the Grundsatz program of the AFD, the, the their manifesto of the party, the new program of AFD.de. Uh, AFD.de. Okay. Yeah. And then you go to is that it? Yeah. Okay. Program, open program, open, program, open. Yeah. Oh, up, up, up. We just close this. Yeah. Program. Okay. And then Grundsatz program. Open that. Yeah. And go down. Uh-huh. Okay. First, democracy and Grundwerte, right? Yeah. They want to do a system where we have public votes, referendums along the Swiss model, example. Direct democracy. First, they want to, we can continue down. They want to vote on the euro. Mm-hmm. The people have a right to vote. Do we want the euro or not? Bring back the Deutschmark. I'm a banker. Brilliant idea. Bring back the Deutschmark. My vote would be bring back the Deutschmark. Yeah. But they are asking the public, the people to vote. Yeah. Good. Next point. Next point. The blue. Yeah. Domestic security and justice must be, justice must be independent. Judges must be elected by the public, not by the party, etc., etc., etc. We continue. Foreign policy is clear. We can continue. It's not very important. They don't want any alliance with any other military. Social policy, more jobs. Go down. Yeah, please. Family and children are very important. They get support because the, the children are the future for every any society. Yeah, definitely. Best, best education. Mm-hmm. If families are poor, give them support for the children. Yeah. Cash support. Culture is clear. Mm-hmm. Identity. Schooling, research, increased budgets. A, a responsible uh, asylum policy, mm-hmm. economic, uh, yeah, this economic programs, which are, for instance, software has to be open source yeah, for security purposes. Is there any mention about Bitcoin or hyper-Bitcoinization? <laughs> no, I come to that later. Lower taxes. Mm-hmm. So I got the call. Energy policy have normal relations with Russia. Mm-hmm. Have normal relations with Russia to secure energy for the German 
economy yeah. of the household. Energy also mentioned Clean that. energy. You yeah. cannot run a company with calculations based on chaos. Yeah. And weather is chaos. Sunshine and wind mm -hmm. is chaos theory. Yeah, it's not. It's just that you cannot. So, so base, base, base energy must come from secure sources like gas or electricity from nuclear power. Which is clean. Yeah. Um, Logic, right? Or further development of nuclear technology or nuclear. Yeah, yeah. The Russians are building nuclear reactors that are clean now. They even have no more waste. Yeah, and they're recycling. They they have it already. Yeah, yeah, they're building it in Egypt, uh, in yeah. uh, in Hungary, in mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. um, and you continue, continue, continue. Look at the program. It's just yeah. like infrastructure. It's let's have a look. Very comprehensive. It. Yeah, everything is there. Yeah, now, they say they say no Islamism. Yeah, which means no terrorists that blow up things based on religion, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no extremism. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Is there anything right extreme in that program? Zero. Mm -hmm. Now we come to the party leader, Alice Weidel. Former banker, PhD in economics and philosophy. 43, young. Um, been an investment banker, analyst at Goldman Sachs. Worked in China for six years with and, and worked with for Bank of China in China, <laughs> speaks Mandarin. Mandarin is the most difficult one of the Chinese language. Canton is easy, but Mandarin is really difficult to learn and to profess. You know. <clears throat> so she speaks Mandarin, happens to be that she speaks Mandarin, uh, raises two sons with a registered partnership and her partner is she's from uh, Switzerland, originally from Sri Lanka. So there you go. Anything racist there? Zero. Rejects she rejects wokeism and genderism. This gender crap. Yeah. Uh, with this ESG stuff, which is killing companies and jobs, mm -hmm. she rejects that. Synthetic food, no need for that. And so on and so forth. So Alice Weidel is since one year now, she's the boss. She works very hard, you know, can you imagine running a family and then running a big party, growing fast in such a crisis. Mm -hmm. Very strong woman. And I always repeat that she has this incredible, incredible gift. Yeah. DNA. She has the emotional intelligence combined with the academic intelligence and rational yeah. and ethical <laughs> yeah, but again academic and emotional in one normally you meet emotional intelligent people uh, or academic nerds this one has everything very rare <laughs> extremely rare and knows how to talk and tough if need be and it's a woman in a men's world politics is still a men's world and uh, she's fighting the fight and she's holding the course doesn't go zigzag so i have a huge respect for her and i've never met a more intelligent woman than her in my life i'm 55 <laughs> i've been advising government ladies uh, bankers 
I met traders, I mean, lawyers. Alice Weidel is absolutely unique. And she's bringing the party to new heights because she is true to the cause. And the cause is one word, honesty. Her speech in the Bundestag on the 23rd of November, look it up if you have time, 10 minute speech. She presented the, the, how should I say, she presented the situation of Germany, which is ugly, in the most honest fashion, without, you know, without any nice words to spare. Honesty. She's a monument of honesty. And therefore, she's reliable. Yeah. What are her chances? I mean, who? Are, what other decision makers or people in, in positions are multiplicated? I mean, would supporting her or, or pushing her or the party mm -hmm. she's the boss she's the leader and i mean outside i mean from mm. well the opposition hates her <laughs> but conrad Adenauer i would say make yourself unbelieved make yourself uh, hated then they take you seriously she has done that <laughs> the greens the lefts even cdu they respect her now because they hate her they demonize her why because it's growing fast. The more they do that, that's my advice, the more they're supporting her rise. Why? Because she, she can fight the fight. She can think the thought, is not afraid, and goes straight through the middle. That's something new in German. So I call it I call it the young Adenauer in female form. Perfect definition if you know term politics Adenauer was a brilliant man yeah and you know and she she is the rebirth her incarnation of Conrad Adenauer that's my view my reading of her so follow her follow her speeches she's the new hope of Germany definitely confirmed and they're 15 percent and they're 16 percent once they have 17 18 they go to the bundesrat mm -hmm. they'll go they get there next year the more crisis we have in germany now the more afd will gain because people start to realize hey these guys are telling us the truth since years and now it's happening what they told us will happen exactly and the pain point has also been reached or will be reached soon you know there's a threshold or point. point of people like finally you know <laughs> opening up and, and and starting to think critically or i don't know you know reflecting <laughs> on what's really happening what's going on you have interesting things happening in germany you have the left the linke that always was the whole life marxist or left 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 against war now they start to think sending weapons to ukraine this is crazy i so mean what does sarah wagenknecht do She's waiting to get fired because she will not play that game. She's an honest person, a good person. But she will leave the party because if they send weapons to Ukraine, she, from a moral, ethical standpoint, will say, you know what? I'm out of here. Mm. That's what a link is anyway, marginal. But people are observing that. They're not stupid. They're not that stupid. Mm. They are they're not stupid people are not stupid that's the wrong thing it's derogatory but people don't think anymore they become lazy 
that's the right you ask me why is this all happening people became lazy to think yeah and taking responsibility also for themselves i mean it's yeah. a huge issue and and the issue of trust and i think it's a very rooted problem in our society yeah. but you know it's a rabbit hole of its own uh, so Pascal, to wrap this up and conclude, I mean, can we zoom out a little bit more? Because I know you have a lot of insights and comprehension about the macroeconomical. Let's talk about money, you know, about uh, inflation or the BRICS nations going off yeah. the you know, Look, the reserve. Okay, country. so we have NATO and the US decided they tried to break Russia. I call it they tried to, they won't succeed. Russia and I will not go west. They never wanted to. They wanted to secure new borders that their people are safe. That's it. And uh, Ukraine will start shoot, continue to shoot at the borders and they will re repel. And, you know, it's, you know, but Russia would just hold the line. They don't go west. Why should they? Makes no sense. Through that, we have new alliances. We started 2012. Good neighbors, Iran and Russia are good neighbors, historically. They never had a fight, not in a thousand years. And they have a natural Caspian Sea relationship. They're, you know, caviar is on the Iranian side and on the Russian side. Um, Iranian is better because the sturgeon lives in a deeper water than the Russian one. Oh, therefore, <laughs> okay, good to know. That's why it's more expensive. That yeah. fish, the Iranian, is bigger. Mm -hmm and more pure because the water is cleaner mm -hmm. down there than in the side of the Russian shallow waters. Um, but go away from caviar, which is something too expensive. The trade is increased. Military cooperation strategically has increased. Shanghai Cooperation Organization, people don't talk about that. SCO, you, you know about it. Shanghai Corporation. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've been following it, yeah. It started in Kazakhstan, actually. Nazarbayev, who I advised, he's smart. He had this idea about a regional economic alliance, which is now also a military alliance, um, whereby he called it the Shanghai Corporation Organization. In respect, with respect, giving respect to the big neighbor. Clever. Humble. But China, Kazakhstan, some stands, uh, Iran is now applying to join. Those countries alone, look at the map, they have all the resources. Russia, I mean, imagine the resource space, huge. Then the region, the belt, right? They're rebirthing the Silk Road. Something that worked thousands of years ago, why shouldn't it work today? The trade. Yeah, that will definitely improve. I mean, economically or let's say structural, maybe even. But, you know, there's this distinction between unipolar, multipolar. I mean, are we going to... Unipolar world is over. World? On, the, on the 24th of February, with the start of the special military operation where Russia had to go in, the unipolar world is finished. The hegemon hegemony is over. No country was able to stand up against NATO and America. Well, Putin stood up. So the multipolar concept is like Bitcoin, is decentralization. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Europe will fall apart, not tomorrow, but starting to, it goes, it will go back to sovereign states with their own currencies, 
borders and border control and their own armies for security and their own respective laws. You cannot have a European law for every, it doesn't work. And <laughs> that brings us to the topic of multipolarization is the future. How do you cooperate? Like in the old days, you have bilateral, trilateral agreements. What's wrong with that? Nothing. It's good. So we're going in that direction. You have BRICS emerging. Huge. Um, who is Europe? EU? How many people are in the EU? I don't know. Uh, 350, 400? I'm not sure. 400 million. Yeah. 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 Are, are we in a race against time? Because, you know, when we talk about CBD, central bank digital currencies, the total surveillance, the intention of the Bank of International Settlements, absolute control in their own words, you know, Augustin Carson's, you know, this fat man of <laughs> Bank of International Settlements. I mean, this is what I'm, I think I was going into. I was trying to ask, okay. what are so, your concerns? I mean, central bank, central bank fiat system now we understand it better, has failed. It has failed. It already failed in 2008. What did the governments do to prevent social unrest and the collapse of the entire economy? They printed money, right? And nobody talks about it anymore. It's all good. Then COVID came. What did the governments do to prevent social unrest? Money printing, throwing money at the situation. Switzerland has spent more than 130 billion Swiss francs for COVID, which is a flu, for God's sakes. <laughs> they printed money. Look at the M2 curve of money supply, and you will see in 19, uh, 2019, 2021, like a rocket. By orders of magnitude. It I'm failed. Yeah. That chart means it failed. Mm -hmm. That that's the proof. It failed. So what what do they do now? The Americans are increasing rates like crazy to gallop to stop the galloping inflation. At the same time, they want to destroy the ECB. Right? Yeah. The ECB cannot pull along the Fed. The Fed will go, in my view, to six percent. Easy. The next eighteen months will see rate hikes in America. They don't care because the middle class is getting destroyed. They have more control, right? Who's, who suffers? The middle class and the poor, but the middle class gets decimated. That's the policy. Uh -huh. And then print money again, lower rates. What will happen? Stock markets will go through the roof. Bitcoin will go even faster. But is it the solution? It's not. Printing money is not a solution because we know it, it It doesn't work. It does not work. Look it up in the internet. Cost of a Porsche 1960, 9-11, and cost of a 9-11 today. Simple calculation. So people are saving money for the old days, right? Yeah. They believe in the pension system. So they're saving money. Now in Germany, we have an inflation rate of 10%, right? At least, yeah. Yeah, the real one, the public one, the real exactly. one is higher. 
right? Mm -hmm. Think about it. 10%. How many years to lose 50% of your money savings? Five years. 10 years, it's gone. Purchasing power-wise, zero. It doesn't work. Fiat system, inflation is always there, always. It's cancerous. It eats up what you're saving. So people say, you know what? In 20, Young people say, in 20 years, I want to build a house. A house costs a million dollars today or Swiss francs to build. Countryside, not expensive land, small house, garden. So we're saving like crazy. When they're ready, the price has changed. It's now 5 million. But your savings are only half a million to pay down to put to, to, as a down payment for the mortgage. That's what's happening. So when they get old, 70 years, 80 years, what happens? They realize that the pension, the official pension of 1,500 Swiss francs a month doesn't even pay them the rent, the shelter. Mm -hmm. My mother worked all her life. She gets 1,700 Swiss francs. Without her savings, she could, she would not, she, she would be in the streets. So this is that's when the government you have to tie this into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. I'm getting there. So yeah. Bitcoin is beautiful. It's mathematically perfect. What is mathematic science? Do you know the answer? Tell me. The mathematic science, the whole biggest science in the world, the mathematic science of mathematics, which I'm very bad at, to be honest and confess. Mathematic science is the science of absolute truth. So something that's mathematically perfect, which Bitcoin is, is absolute truth. First point. Second point, it's limited. Third point, proof of work. You have to work, you get compensated. Proof of work is very important. No double spending. Yeah, and you have all the properties you could have ever wished for money. Wait, Absolute yes. scarcity, I mean, you can list it. I mean, you can- Yeah, well, I've got to be critical to, as a payment system like money or credit cards, it's not yet there, adoption-wise. Not yet. Would not like yet. Lightning, second lay, whatever. All good. I can send, if I, if I have a billion dollars on this mobile phone, which is possible. Yeah. I wish it was, but it's not. <laughs> I can send you to Vienna now with a boom, and it will go ping, and you have the billion dollars for a transfer cost of 68 cents. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Try to send a billion dollars from UBS here down the road to your... I don't know which bank, Bank Austria in Vienna. Antiquated. It yeah. will take a week. Mm -hmm. And the costs? They will charge you $100,000, $20,000. I don't know how much. No way. So Bitcoin has all that. It's robust, decentralized. The computer system is the largest one in the world. The encryption is 10 power 77. You can't crack it. You can't fake it. You cannot, you can't. Bitcoin, and you know, let's let's do the gendering thing. Bitcoin is it. 
it exists in the internet. Yeah. All the other 19,000 coins are worthless. Why? Because people are behind them who are greedy. They want your money in their pocket and they give you a worthless coin and they tell you the moon it will go through the roof. Not limited. I mean, completely crazy. Bitcoin is the only one which is a commodity because you have to mine it, proof of work to get it. Yeah. And truly, and truly decentralized. I mean, it's the only one. Yeah. Yes. It's like water. They stop yeah. the water here, it will go around. They ban it in China, it goes to Kazakhstan, it goes to America, it comes to Switzerland, because, you know, there's 205 nations on the planet, I believe, now. Let, let five or ten nations ban it. So what? It's property, it's private property. You cannot take it away from people. Mm -hmm. About the exchanges and the licensing, I agree. Exchanges should be regulated, I believe, in that. Or you have it on your own, on your on your own custody. Fine. Just don't lose the keys because then you have nothing. This is about responsibility. I think this is what people, a lot of people maybe might be scared of. Or yeah. So yeah. Very, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know the English word now, but uh, there's a certain barrier of get out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Threshold. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm holding the keys now of my wealth. Ah, uh, what happens if? Yeah, but there, but you know, there are so many possibilities: a multi-signature, whatever <laughs> uh, inheritance yeah. plan. I mean, it's 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 not impossible. It's, it's it's really easy. It's made so so easy in the last few years. It's incredible the the uh, the rate of development and te technological innovation and the applications. Easy to use, user friendly. It's unbelievable. You know. Yeah. It's mathematically perfect, it's decentralized, it's autark, it has its own life in the internet. The only way to kill Bitcoin is to shut down permanently the global internet, which is impossible. And even then, I think it's possible. Uh, which yeah, okay, but let's, let's just assume yeah. that that is the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Now we talk about central bank currencies, uh, CBDC, total nonsense. The Swiss National Bank made a statement, they will not do that for the Swiss public. Good statement. Wise. Lagarde wants to do it. She wants to control the people. Programmable money by the state is the end of humanity. That means your money, I mean, you, you have no more privacy. Now you're a total slave. I mean, slave, yeah. you can pay taxes. Fine. Okay. Yeah. That's the end of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it will be difficult to force it down people's throat. Mm -hmm. It will be a long battle between private property laws and all these things. Constitution, some of it there that you need to provide cash and all these things, cash systems. Uh, I will not live, thank God, through the time when they have this globally um, digital currencies, but they're forcing it. EU is forcing it. Uh, thank God it's complicated for most people to understand. Thank God. And uh, let's leave it at that. Um, let's leave away the CBDC. This is complete nonsense. But Bitcoin is something else. Store of value, perfect. It doesn't lose energy in the first thermodynamic law. is fulfilled. It has no leakage. And I always say this. It's the only thing that you can convert analog energy into digital uh, energy. 
take a waterfall, take the power, take a computer, do mining, you get the Bitcoin. What you create, monetary value, social, economic power. And with that, you can build cities, you can build roads. Deflationary, no inflation. Perfect, problem solved. That's it, Bitcoin is explained. I explained that to my goddaughter. She's 11. Very smart girl. Ah, what is this Bitcoin about? Yeah. 15 minutes explained to that on basis of money. Do you think money is printed more or less? The paper money. He said, yeah, more. I think more. I said, what is more valuable? Something there's more of it every day or year? Or something that's only 21 million ever? She said, I want to take this one. All right. Children get it. Killing children just get it. I wish that we would have, you know, had some monetary or awesome economics or something. We never had this. I mean, she got it. She got it. She said, Mom, I want to buy all this shit as much as we can. <laughs> and that comes to the last question, which last colleague of us and you asked me that question. If you want to have the last orange pill, I have one more pill to give to somebody. To whom would you give it? Mm -hmm. I, I repeat that it's a highly controversial answer and I had to think about it for a few seconds but not really it's more rhetoric <laughs> the last orange pill I'll give it to the Russian leader Yeah. if they convert all the energy, oil and gas into Bitcoin standard the whole world will follow yeah, and they will create the prosperity and abundance. Uh, you know, as you said, energy. You know, this is where civilization, new civilization, they convert energy into yeah. Bitcoin, which they have plenty of. Exactly. Yeah, that's what they're doing now. The mining is now legal. Mm -hmm. The central bank governor, she's a bit of a not a nerd. She's very, she's brilliant actually. She hates yeah. Putin's policies, and they have like loggerheads. It shows that the central bank is independent. By the way, hello. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing, actually. But uh, she'll come around. It'll take time. Yeah. But imagine Gazprom doing gas contracts in Bitcoin. Fantastic. Where do you see, uh, do you see hyper-Bitcoinization, a critical mass of hyper-Bitcoinization, let's say, you know, three to 5% of all population of, of the earth or nation states adopting Bitcoin within the next five to 10 years? Or no. no. I say the next hype will come, the next cycle, which is, as I told you, when the Americans Fed will stop the hiking. And when the signal comes of peak, already that, you'll see the Bitcoin going through the roof. So it will come gradual and suddenly, right? Yeah. Like a turbo. Okay. And again, when they, when they announce peak has been reached, confirmed, 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 and then the first rate cut, 25 basis points cut, Mm -hmm. we'll go wow because the money shifts then again back to risk assets mm -hmm. Bitcoin unfortunately is a risk asset in the bankers world terminology it's wrong Bitcoin should be a, a non-risk asset exactly <laughs> but only you and I know that because I don't look at the price anymore I, yeah. I don't care and I'm 100% in Bitcoin, Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm 100% in Bitcoin Jesus <laughs> Everything what I owned, I sold in 2016. Bravo. Yeah. It's the only rational, ethical, and soundest decision. No. 
on Who that actually, one i don't have to worry you know if you have stocks and bonds what do you have to do every morning you had to read right. the research reports any news about ibm any news about nestle mm-hmm. oh the ceo died oh shoot uh m and a oh that merger oh no my my stock is going the wrong way i couldn't be bothered anymore i got this mathematical it in the internet it exists it will do well i trust in it i trust it and uh, it will do well you give us hope Pascal, I mean, uh, it's really what we really need. I think a lot of people need hope. I mean, we are, I think we both and a lot of, you know, in our communities, our Bitcoin community, we, we have a lot of understanding. We know the facts. We do our own research. But uh, most people just either, either don't have the time, the energy, or the resources or whatever. You know, it's just too much uh, for people. So I think this is why I'm doing this, you know, to give people like the, not only hope, but, uh, you know, the bigger picture, the Exactly. You know, <laughs> Bitcoin is hope, you know, Bitcoin is the future. It's the only thing that will, you know, make our children, you know. I, I say it differently. I go one step further. Sorry. Hope for me is not good enough. I say it differently. Yeah. Bitcoin gives certainty. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Certainty. Yeah. It's indestructible. It's certain. Yeah. Hope yeah, is nice. I know yes. what hope the, the, the proverb is. Bankers are merchants of hope. Mm, yeah. The fiat terminology. Yeah. They come to your office, they promise you a billion dollars for your company and look at the pitch book and sign here and then you You're right. Yeah, we should yeah, we should get rid of this terminology. Yeah. It's certainty. It's, certainty. it's a mission of its own and it has it yeah. has truth. You know, Bitcoin is truly truth. Mathematics. Yeah. One plus one is two. If the result is not correct, the formula is wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And it cannot It's be signs of absolute truth. Yeah. Cannot be changed, cannot be manipulated, cannot be by anybody or anyone or anything. Yeah. Can we go back to the crisis we have in this government, please? I want yes, to make please. people just one more to round it up, please. If I can take. Of course. Yeah. Please, everybody, look at Switzerland. Look at my action i have filed criminal charges against president Bursett. the presumption of innocence applies um, i've done that because i caught him telling the untruth using the uh national television to spread a lie that the vaccines are safe and not safe that the vaccines are safe not to be contagious that's wrong we know it they know it since august of 21 with that the covid law was manipulated the vote People voted yes for it. It's a discrimination. It is a, a, a unconstitutional law. Um, now we know from Pfizer that the vaccines never were designed to sp- stop spreading the virus. However, genius Dr. Virginie Masser, and I take my hat off this lady, she warned everybody in August 21, vaccinated people spread as easily as unvaccinated people. The boss, Minister Berset, now president and still Minister of the Health today, used television time three months later to say the contrary, that the certificate shows that you're not contagious, and that is a lie. And with that lie, a lot of consequences happen. So I'm with this case, criminal case, the Swiss government probably will have to de- declare the COVID law as null and void 
because the voters were misled, deceived through this statement on television on the 27th of October 21. So the criminal charges are filed, they're running. Uh, mainstream media starts to report of it. I, I want to encourage Austrians in Vienna, look it up, Weltwoche. You'll see the articles and uh, read yourself into it. It's very simple. The whole case is described on a piece of paper like this. Sometimes simple things are more effective than convoluted, complicated things. And in this case, it is um, simple to describe what happened and analyze it. There's no need for new studies <clears throat> since it's now evident that the vaccines don't work. And MNRA vaccines don't work. Pfizer has admitted it in European Parliament. They don't work. So I'm relating, I'm referring to Pfizer, which has made, again, public statements. It's on Google, I think, uh, on YouTube, I even think, and Google it. Janine Small, Pfizer manager, confessed it, admitted it. Yeah, so, it's open, yeah. This country will be the leader of, to, in my view, to work up this whole COVID mess, Aufarbeitung, sagen wir dem, and to come back to the absolute truth and to the absolute functioning of justice and democracy in our country. Mistakes were made, lies were said, consequences are terrible. However, we can learn, we have to learn from those mistakes. Those responsible who did this, I asked them to step down from their positions immediately. And I asked justice to act for yeah. the sake of this country and the history of Switzerland and the people of Switzerland. Exactly. Yeah. Truth, freedom and justice Yeah, shall prevail. I think we all, what we need to do is really shine the light upon it and uh, I think, I don't know who was that, but I think somebody said, I think it was the, the lawyer, Reinhard Trumit at the Sunshine or somebody else. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. So <laughs> we, all we need to do is to articulate. We need to speak up, you know, and, and articulate the truth. Um, then now it's time. Um, Kevin. Kevin. Uh, now's the time to do it. Again. And the first one worldwide who has launched criminal charges against the sitting minister and now elected president. Follow my example and follow what we're doing. We're doing it for peace and democracy, well-being of the people. I have no financial objectives in this. I have no political ambitions at all. Mr. Berset could be Mr. Maya or Müller, I don't know. Whoever says this, what he did and did what he did is responsible and has to take responsibility in front of the law. That's all I want. Pascal, yeah. thank you so much for really in the name, what should I say? I mean, in, I can only say really in the name of humanity and, and all okay. people and all children, you know, because if, if I mean, who does it? You know, there's really just a handful of people who have the courage, the ethos <laughs> and uh, you know the intention to uh yeah to to to, to recreate uh justice and, and 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 yeah bring upon freedom you know for for ourselves and our posterity and our children i mean there's no other way we've done it so it's running 
Switzerland will be a leading example how to deal with this. I trust in the justice system. And I believe we will, although it's a tough crisis, we will come out of it stronger, better, with better understanding of previous mistakes made. We can learn from them. We will be stronger and better. That's that's what I want to say. Amazing. Um, your Twitter handle is Atlantic Challenger Bitcoin 1967. Bitcoin 1967. So I will put that in the show notes. Any other information or uh, resources? Google me. You can Google it and you see um, there's a wiki, everybody wiki, because Wikipedia is manipulated. So yeah. there's a new product called Everybody or Every Wiki. Uh, just go Pascal Najadi wiki and then you have my bio. And I will add that too. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, I think. Or maybe I did I send you the link. Yeah, I will put that yeah, on the show notes. Yeah. Well, Pascal, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend and hopefully we can, you know, uh, yeah, I will talk to you soon. <laughs> Definitely. Please do and send me the file. I need it. Of course. Pascal, thank you very much. So much. Bye. All the best. All the best. Bye. Please. Thank you. <laughs>